I'm James. I pastor at First Church, which meets inside Sunday mornings. Uh, this is Tim. He leads worship here at First Church. And this is Luke, who leads worship at Down River Church. That meets outside on Sunday mornings. We're going to have uh, myself speak and uh, Pastor Pete speak in a little bit. Uh, for now, we're not going to do that awkward meet and greet bit, because that's just, that's terrible. But turn and find somebody you don't know, make just very brief eye contact, wave, and then sit down. Okay? <laughs> All right, go ahead. Whew, did we survive? Yes, okay. Okay, so for our friends from Down River Church, oftentimes at First Church we try and interact just a little bit and make sure that we're awake and uh, we find it can be amusing. So, uh, not a trick question, all right? Yesterday was July 3rd. Tomorrow is July 5th. What does that make today? I heard some people say July 4th. That's what I was going for. But the others that answered something else, I'm coming back to that, okay? <laughs> Americans love to celebrate July 4th. We love the fireworks. We love the picnics. We love the family time. We love the day off of work. We're going to have a picnic after. If you didn't know, stick around. We're going to have a picnic. It'll be great. Uh, for those that didn't say July 4th is today, you said something else. What do we call this day? Independence Day. Independence Day. Fantastic. We love our independence in this country. We love thinking back to 1776 when we cast off the shackles of our, of our dependence on the British Empire. We love to be free. Someone say amen. amen. Oh, wow. That's louder than normal. Thank you, Tessa. We love to be independent, all right? Just think about this last year. I'm not making any sort of political statement or point, pointing at anybody in particular, but when it seemed like our independence was being threatened, when it, when it seemed like our rights were being taken away, there was some uh, vitriolic uh, online engagement There was just, you know, we don't like that. After wearing masks, you can't make me wear a mask, I'm free, right? Get a vaccine, wait, I'm independent. This doesn't just go back to last year. Think back with me. I know it's a long time ago. 1999. Whew, the year of our Lord. It was the year I married my wife, Abby. It was a good year. You weren't born yet. No. 1999, the musical group Destiny's Child. Come on. Yeah. They put out a song called Independent Women. Reached number three on the Billboard charts. All right, this might miss a few people, but we're going we're gonna to try it anyways, okay? Ladies, or any guys who know the lyrics, fill in the blank, all right? The song goes, all you women, independent, throw your hands up at me. That's right, all you honeys making, throw your hands up at me. Yes, thank you. You listen to it. Don't tell anybody, Destiny Child was one of my favorite groups, all right? They said, the watch I'm wearing, I bought it. The house I live in, that's the same answer for the next three questions, okay? The, the, rock, the rock I'm wearing, bought it, because I depend on me if I want it. Man, that was a big song. We love to be independent. 
You know, this bleeds over into our faith as well. We love to claim our freedom in Christ. I read a verse in Galatians 5 that talked about that. We love the point that we can be free from sin. I think for many American Christians, we'd be really quick to declare that as a people of God, we are independent people. All right? As American Christians, we would be quick to declare that we are independent people. But I would say we're wrong. I would say as soon as we declare that, we are wrong. Because as a people of God, we are a dependent people. As a people of God, we are a dependent people. And we need to never forget that. That's why when Pastor Pete and I were talking about where we go for this morning's service, he had this great idea. Let's talk about Dependence Day. Dependence Day. So as I share it, as he shares, that is our title for today. We are a people that are committing our lives to follow Christ, to do all we can to order everything around God, his work, his ways. We are a dependent people, and on a day like today, we need to remember that. All right? Let me see if I can tell you why. The Apostle Paul, on one of his several mission trips, ended up in a city of Athens. All right? He was walking around, he found all sorts of statues, all sorts of idols, and he noticed one that caught his attention, and it sparked a conversation with the people of Athens. Those people would be called Athenians. Say Athenians with me. Athenians, that's right. Now wipe the slobber off the person in front of you. Athenians. He started a conversation with them. Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 24, says this. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. One of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Now this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. If you're following, around, following along, we're now in verse 27. Paul says his purpose, God's purpose, was for the nations to seek after himself and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. And though he is not far away from any of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Or in him, a lot of your translations are the way you probably memorized it. I saw that. For in him we live and move and have our being. How's that for being a dependent people? Only in God do we live and move and have our being. Paul is talking to this group from Athens who is worshiping all sorts of different gods, who is a very independent people. So what does he do to prove his point? Where does he start to convince them that that they are dependent? Well, he could have started in many different ways. He could have pointed to the fact that, hey, God provides our material needs. For those of you who have grown up in the church, you've been taught that, right? Anything we need, our food, our clothing, our water. When Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, which one of Paul's friends may have gone to and then told Paul about, Jesus said, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Above all else, live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Now the people that day, if they heard that, they were hearing the echoes from Psalm 145. Where the psalmist says, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. 
When you open your hand, you satisfy their hunger and their thirst. As followers of Jesus, we are dependent on God for our material needs. We've always been taught that. And Paul could have emphasized that to the people of Athens, but he didn't start there. Why? Well, they may have had a group that sounded like Destiny's Child when they thought the house they lived in, they bought it, and the food they, right? I have friends that would say, no, I work hard. I provide for the house I live in, for the food I buy, for the clothes that I put on my kids' backs. So it's not surprising that Paul didn't start there. All right? He, could have, he, he went a different route. And he could have said, you know what? We depend on God for our emotional well-being. For the things that when they're weighing heavy on us, we give them to God and he lightens our load. For those of us who have grown up in and around the church, we're familiar with verses like this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, Don't worry about anything, right? Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you're going to experience God's peace, which, experience, which, which exceeds anything we can understand. right? His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Of course, one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, also said something similar. He said, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And the psalmist, echoing back to Psalm 55, said, give your burdens to the Lord. He'll take care of you. In this last year, how many of of you have had things way heavy? Any hands? How many of you have given them to the Lord? Okay, hopefully you have. This helps our emotional well-being. Because God takes care of those things. And Paul could have said we are dependent on God for our emotional well-being, but he didn't start there. Paul could have looked at the people of Athens and said, you know what? You got all sorts of idols, all, all sorts of shrines, all sorts of gods that you're worshiping. But in all reality, he could have said, in order to even go in front of this God I'm telling you about, you need to be dependent on him. Our ability to approach the God of the universe is only possible because of what Christ has already done, making us dependent on him. Paul wrote the church in Colossae, and he says, This includes you who were once far away. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you're holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Paul could have said, you're only able to have your sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done. You're only able to have your eternal destiny secured because of what Jesus has done. You're only able to pray for the hot dogs that we're going to eat in about 15 minutes because of what God has done. You're only able to go before the the Father because we've got an interceder in Christ. Paul could have started with that, but he didn't. He said, in him we live and move and have our being. Now those that have grown up in and around the church, which I think is quite a few people sitting in this room... We wouldn't argue had Paul started with any of those things. Had Paul said, you depend on God for your material needs, for your emotional needs, for your spiritual needs. We we wouldn't have argued with that. But again, Paul was talking to a group of people who were so independent, they set up shrines and idols all over the place so they could worship whatever God they wanted to. So Paul doesn't start with any of those things that we would normally say, yeah, that makes sense. Paul goes even more simple, even more basic. 
Acts 17, verse 23 says, This is the God. He's talking about the unknown God that they had a shrine to. It's the God whom you worship without knowing it. It's the one I'm telling you about in verse 25. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. You just can't get more simple than that. And you can't get more basic yet more profound than that. This God that we depend on, we depend on for our life and our breath. As Pastor Pete and I were talking about what direction we should go today, as we started to prepare, I was reminded of this truth. Because in that week, those three teenagers up north of Spokane on Highway 395 lost their life when they went head on to a fire truck. The week that we were starting to prepare, First Church lost a 33-year-old beloved brother in Christ, Nick. That same week, there were several deaths in our conference, and there was a couple of near-death experiences for a couple of our pastors. That This past week, as a nation, we have watched as this condo has collapsed in Miami, and we have been reminded that there is a God who gives us our breath, gives us our life, and we don't know when he has ordained for us to breathe our last breath or to live our last day. That should remind us that we are dependent on him. Now, I thought about kind of wrapping up my section, rewriting some of Destiny's Child lyrics, all right? I'm, I'm great with Dr. Seuss stuff, but Destiny's Child, so I was like, well, all you people so dependent, throw your hands up at him, right? I decided not to go any further than that. <laughs> For your sake and my sake, I just want to remind us that on a day we celebrate our nation's independence, we are a dependent people. I'm going to pray. And then Pastor Pete's going to come up and he's going to show us another type of dependence that may surprise us. Lord God, I thank you that we can recognize our dependence on you. And I pray, Lord, even today as a nation, as we celebrate our independence, which we value, Lord, we love it. We love to be able to worship freely in this country. There's so much we've got that we can be excited and happy for. But it's good for us to be reminded that we are dependent solely on you. Yes, for material needs. Yes, for emotional needs. Yes, for spiritual needs. But we are dependent on you for the very breath that we breathe. Remind us of that today so that as we celebrate our independence, we can remember where our true dependence lies. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and for you guys to listen with, uh, with 
ears filled with grace. And I'm going to encourage you to do that as we continue to talk, because I'm going to share some things that, that hopefully challenge you as well, uh, like some of the things that Pastor James said hopefully challenged you this morning. Uh, there have been a lot of conversations about independence over the past 15, 16 months. And Pastor James referenced some of those things that we've talked about. I know in our church, um, as much as we've talked about masks, as much as, as, much as we've talked about rights and, and liberties and freedoms, the thing that was kind of a tipping point for Downriver uh, was uh, about last November. Do you remember the mandate that happened in November in the shadow of Christmas? What they said we couldn't do in church anymore? What was it? Sing. Sing. And that was really hard for us as Christians. Who, who feel very passionately about how we worship Jesus. We do that by singing. And especially around Christmas time, we're like, this is the time where all of these songs that, you know, I'm a worship guy, and I'm not really interested in singing most of those songs year after year after year. You, you, you know that uh, if you're a guitar player, they're very difficult to play on guitar, and I am a guitar player. But during Christmas time, I, I love them. I, love, I find a passion for those songs and for the mandate to come across that said, well, you guys aren't able to sing right now for the safety of people in the room. That was really difficult for us as a church. And we wrestled with what should our response be. Because we know that God calls us to worship, but we also know that God says to respect the authorities, that everybody in power has been put in power because of what God wants them to accomplish. Not necessarily to do God's will specifically, but sometimes indirectly. We see people put in power throughout the Old Testament and New of the Bible that weren't agents to accomplish God's goodwill, but they were definitely people that pointed back towards God. And so we wrestled with some of those things. And you know where we landed as a church? And, and I'm not sure exactly where First Church landed, but what we decided, I think it was a similar place, we decided... We're going to go ahead and, and not sing, and for a period of about five or six weeks, whatever that was, and we're going to find new ways to worship God, because we're commanded to worship by God, and that command trumps any command of, of the nation. But if it's safe for people among us who, if it's safer for people among us who may be struggling with health or, or an understanding of kind of where things are at with the pandemic, we went... Well, the example that Jesus gave to us is that he always sided with those people who didn't think they could do it. He always sided with people that we might say are weak compared to the strong. And so I asked some of the strong among our church, I know you don't really want to do this, but let's model Jesus here. And if you can show me in Scripture where Jesus sided with the strong person at the expense of the weak, then I'll be happy to reevaluate our direction as a church. But I just don't see that. And so there was a phrase that that uh, permeated all of the decisions that we made during that time. And it was this. As Christians, our obligation must always increase and our independence must always decrease. That means as Christians, we work harder for the sake of someone else. We, we work harder to be less independent. We work harder that God's name would be, would be made great and that ours, well, it... It wouldn't. So in obedience to God, we serve, we work, we're willing to, to not grumble and complain, we're willing to set aside some of our own will, our own desire, our own wants in the world to understand that what God wants is more important than that. And that means sometimes that we work very hard so that we diminish and God increases. Uh, I love what Pastor James said. Uh, God himself gives life and breath 
to everything. So as we lean into our understanding of what it means to depend on God, we should first depend on God to give us life and breath and everything in between it. And then out of that, as much as I think that is critical and unbelievably necessary, I think there's more to it also. I think that if we were to stand back and say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, and it doesn't really concern me because he's in charge and I, I don't have a part to play, then we miss it, don't we? Our Christian faith is built on working hard for the benefit of our experience, our relationship with God, and then hopefully the opportunity to bring other people into this place where they can experience this redemptive love made possible through Jesus Christ. And so what that means is that as much as we depend on God, God's depending on us as well. Now, that's why I need to ask you to listen to that that phrase with grace. Because God is not dependent on us. God is completely independent of us. And if you're like me, I think critically about the things that people say when they get on platforms. And so if that's what you're, you're saying, wait a minute, God is not dependent on us. How can you say that God is depending on us? Well, I would say God is not dependent on us. God is holy and and entirely separate and independent, and he does not need us to complete and accomplish his will on the world. But he is depending on us to do the things that he's called us to do. Otherwise, what's the purpose of the rest of the Bible? other than just recognizing that God is God and he's going to do his will. When we read the Bible, we see over and over and over again this trust that God places in us, in in humanity, that God made this strangely unique system where he's God and in control of it all, but he gives us a job to do, and he expects that we would step up into those responsibilities. Now, does that mean God is incapable of doing that? Absolutely not. We have, we have scripture after scripture where we see God speak directly to somebody's heart. And I, I think many of us have had experiences where God speaks directly to somebody's heart. And I'll even go farther and say, I think God speaks directly to every person's heart, whether they accept him or not. The people that ex- accept Christ as their savior, they hear God speaking and they, they embrace it. They receive it. But then there are other people. We have philosophy and theology and all of these kind of branches of of pseudoscience, social sciences that are founded on who are we, where did we come from, what are we supposed to do, what's our purpose in the world? And those are the underlying questions to all of those things. And, And a lot of those people who are asking those questions are not Christian people. And a lot of those people who are asking those questions are people who've been exposed to Christianity and have decided that another answer is a more appropriate answer. But I would say that I think the fact that we're asking that question at all proves that God has made this indelible mark on our heart that causes us to question. That the fact that we even care where we came from is because God put that desire in all of us to care where we came from. So I do think that God speaks directly to people, every person who's saved and every person who isn't. And some people listen in a different way than others. But I also can't read the Bible and come to the conclusion, any other conclusion than that God wants us to do his will in the world for the sake of our relationship with Jesus and for the sake of other people as they experience God's love in a way that only can be presented by people who've experienced God's love. It's undeniable to me as, as I read. God has chosen us 
to be instruments that deliver his unconditional love to the rest of the world. And could he do it another way? He could, but that's not the system that he created. The system that he created involves us. So with absolutely no intentions of being irreverent or elevating humankind, humanity to this uh, equitable place with God, I do think that it's fair and appropriate for us to say, we have to depend on God, and as a response, God's depending on us. God trusts us. Think about the ways that God has demonstrated trust in humanity as we read the Bible. I think about the gospel account. We can find it in John as well as the the, the other gospels. But in the book of John, uh, Peter has denied Christ on the, the, the precipice of Christ's death on the cross. Christ is resurrected on the third day. A number of weeks go by, and at a certain point, Jesus sits down with Peter to restore him. Peter doesn't know that's what's happening. Jesus starts asking him questions, and it deeply hurts Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And Peter knew that that third time that Jesus was recalling the, the three betrayals of Peter, even to a little girl who he cussed out for even asking that he would be anywhere near, near Jesus. Peter said, of course not. But in this moment, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. That's action. That's something that we need to do. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to these flocks. That's imagery we see in this passage and tons of others in the Bible. That's our job is to take this message of redemptive love, restoration, and faith to the remainder of the world. And God is counting on us to do that. Is God independent of us completely? But he wants us to do what he asks. Probably the most prominent passage that Christians, most Christians, many Christians can, can quote comes from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, And it says, therefore, it's the words of Jesus, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God makes Christians, but it's our job to make disciples. We need to go into the world and help people learn about Jesus and become more like Jesus. We don't change people's hearts. God does. But sometimes he does that. Often he does that through the interactions that we have with other people. Is God capable of doing it another way? Yes, absolutely. But this is one way that he says, look, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you as a steward of your life, your finances, your relationship, your church family, and the rest of the world. I'm trusting you to take my love into these places, to take my teachings into these places, not because I'm, not because I'm depending on you in that if you don't, I will fail, because God wins. We know the end of the story. God is successful, but we have an opportunity to participate in the success of God. And that's a pretty amazing thing. I think the illustration that, that makes the most sense for me is as a parent. My, uh, my oldest son is 24 years old. My youngest son is about to be 22 in just a couple days. Um, I, I, I hope and pray always that my kids will be uh, awesome adults. And my, my whole life, I remember uh, my youngest was in trouble a lot as a kid. And we'd go into the principal's office. And I got to know the principal very, very well uh, through elementary school. <laughs> And I remember coming into the principal's office probably the fifth or sixth time. It was a new principal, so I got to know him very quickly after he became the principal of my son's school. We sat down, and my wife Becky and I sat down, and Ethan's kind of sitting off in a corner 
you know, twiddling his thumbs, not really realizing the gravity of some dumb thing that he had done. And uh, the principal's name is Terry. He says, Pete, Ethan's going to be a fantastic adult. We just need to get him there. <laughs> and, and we let that guide our parenting. We went, well, we have faith that he's going to be a, a great adult. He's a great thinker. And that way for both of our kids. It's just my youngest was in a whole lot more trouble uh, than, than my oldest. But we pray as parents that our kids would be a, a, amazing adults, that they'd grow up uh, knowing who God is and what that means for them, the, the work that God's requiring of them and asking them to do in, in the world. But parents are completely independent of their children, aren't they? You, you are a person individually created by God, completely separate from your kids. Once they're born, right? There's a period of overlap there from others. Uh, But once they're born and they're separate from you, now you move into this place where the children are entirely dependent on the parents for a period of time. And then as their understanding about the world grows, we as parents, we have a hard time with it. I have a hard time with it seeing my kids grow into their mid-20s, which is a weird thing to say. But I go... We're independent, but I'm hoping that they know that they can still count on me, and I'm counting on them. I'm counting on them to take some of those lessons that they learned from me and to, to move through the world in a way that doesn't make them dorks everywhere that they go. Like, that they, they, they do good. They do God's good will first and foremost. And I think God treats us in a similar way. We need to always be entirely dependent on God. But we also need to remember that God's depending on us. So as, uh, as we close, uh, I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but it's pretty profound, I think, for each of us. Not because of what I'm saying, but because of the thoughts that follow what I say. Here's, here's the question. Are you somebody that God can depend on? Are you somebody that God can depend on? Are you somebody that God can count on? Are you somebody that God can trust? And here's the beautiful thing. Whether you are or aren't, he does. He does count on you. He does trust you. He does depend on you. And you have this opportunity throughout your life here to grow in your understanding and in your dependence upon God in a way that allows him to depend more on you. It's a fascinating thing. It's a beautiful thing. We can't always explain it. But it's the system that God created. If your answer to that question is, yes, I'm somebody God can depend on. He can count on me. He can trust me. Great. Uh, either you're very arrogant or you figured it out. Uh, and that's okay. Continue to move forward, understanding that the goal is for you to be somebody that God can trust. And if you found yourself there through a mature following of faith in pursuit of God, amen, praise God. And I'm so thankful for you that you're, be, you're able to speak into the lives of people that you come into contact with. And for the rest of us, like myself, that goes, I'm not a guy that God can always trust. I'm not a guy that God can always depend on, because pastors aren't different than than people in our congregation. We're just people, and we make mistakes too. And I want to be somebody that God can depend on, but sometimes I know that I'm not. If that's you, what I would encourage you to do in order to become somebody that God can depend more and more and more on, it's really easy. Depend more on God. Put your faith in Him. Learn how to increase your belief. Spend time in in community in your own church and then in larger gatherings with Christian people. Talk about what God is doing in your life. Celebrate what God is doing. Dive into his word and spend time with him in prayer. And the more that you depend on God, the more you become somebody 
who God depends on. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being a dependable God. A God that we can trust, that we can celebrate, 